The subject matter in this episode will contain talks about drugs and extreme tales of addiction. Welcome to Hip Hop Anonymous, the show that has nothing to do with hip hop, or very little at least, and everything to do with conspiracies, philosophies, and more. I'm your host, Dean Martian. The subject of this episode is very interesting to me because uh, sometimes I feel like I like wild things that don't really seemingly have any actual relativity to regular people's lives, right? I, I can't find things that I can make relatable to listeners very easily, is what I'm trying to say. But today's show is probably one of, if not the most relatable things that I could talk about ever. Mental health, but more so addiction and how people become dependent on compulsive behaviors and drug use in order to get by. Addiction is something that everyone has some sort of exposure to. One of your parents is or was addicted. If not, good chances it was a sibling or other relative. If not those, maybe a friend or coworker. And if not any of those other ones, I'm thinking there's a, there's a good chance it's you. This episode is hopefully a new way to look at addiction and or addicts, mental illness and trauma. We've all seen Interventions and the TV show Intervention, probably. So-and-so, I'm here because I love you and I care about you. And if you don't stop doing blank, I'll have to cut you off, uh, cry, etc. But clearly, quitting addictive behavior or substances isn't as easy as just asking somebody to stop. It's rooted in much deeper issues. I'll talk about the brain and the role it plays in addictive behavior. I'll give some examples of addictive behaviors and some even more shocking tales of addiction, like at its height. Not only that, I'll wrap up the show with some tools that you could use to measure how much trauma you may or may not have or live with and how to make efforts towards healing trauma and addictive urges and more. If you or anyone you know is struggling with addiction, trauma, or mental illness, there's a way to get help. Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA, that's not a good acronym, SAMHSA's National Helpline, and it's free, confidential, it's 24-7, 365 days of the year, you can get treatment referrals and information on uh, services. So this number is going to be 1-800-662-HELP or 4357. That is again, 1-800-662-4357. I didn't look up any reviews on this uh, national helpline or whatever, and the quality of the service that they offer, but it may be a good place to start if you got questions. Also, their website is samsa.gov. That's S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov. Let's go ahead and just fucking get started with this episode already. I'm a little kid in the first grade and I'm gluing together two paper plates and I'm filling those paper plates with dried beans the way kids often do. We're making shakers so that we can make noise at this upcoming parade that we have later in the day. 
Seems weird to plan for a parade the same day of, but whatever. The teacher and her assistant, they're walking around the room and they're helping kids make other things too, like signs and they're even filling up discarded paper towel cylinders to make more shakers. Later in the day, we marched the neighborhoods near Yates Elementary in Virginia, then later throughout the halls of our own school. And as we did that, we shouted on repeat, no, no, I just say no. I just say no to drugs. Fast forward to my senior year of high school and high as fuck for the first time there i am i'm lying on the floor several of my neighborhood friends surrounded me we're all just kind of sitting there chilling in various spots of the room rolling blunt after blunt we're <laughs> it's actually in an abandoned house uh, the house that my one of my friends used to live in we uh his pet they all moved out his parents didn't know we were there and old time's sake we just went in and we all crashed the place and after smoking so much, I'm like having a giggle fit. I didn't feel anything at first, but I'm like, then suddenly creeps up on me and I'm just, I'm stuck. Somewhere in the haze, this memory of me marching around when I was a kid, you know, you know, I just say no to drugs, pop, like holding this shaker and a sign or whatever, sweating, being out there, but trying to spread a good cause because we are told that's what we are doing. And I think that was such bullshit. And I spent so many years thinking that weed would make me instantly addicted and crazy because like a, a lot of adult figures around me told me that it would. And as an adult, it isn't hard to see now that the entire idea of marijuana and, and a lot of other drugs being by default labeled as bad is a lot of a lot of bullshit for real if you look at this whole thing from one point of view you see that we all struggle with something no matter how small it is it's not hard to do in the world that we live in it's an irresistible urge to eat cake it's uh, to drink or smoke too much you know, uh, weed or alcohol or soda, uh, cigarettes, whatever, whatever you're smoking or drinking. Uh, you might have a thing to get more tattoos, to exercise more all the time, be in super good shape, have a new relationship, get attention, romantic or otherwise, stay involved in drama, to have sex. All of it, it has this uh, a potential to provide relief from stress. If you're willing to broaden your definition of what you consider a drug or addiction, you'll see how much we actually depend on the use of drugs to cope as a society. And that's completely okay, as long as you do it responsibly. Meaning you don't become addicted to things that society tells you is really, really bad. You know, on your journey to become de-stressed, you don't get carried away the way the dregs of society do people that are addicted and ugh, homeless god forbid yuck it's fucking disgusting am i right and our first response is to act all high and mighty to someone talking like that about people that are vulnerable in society it makes sense because we do probably feel sorry for these people i believe i feel sorry for these people i think as a collective we do but as a collective we also 
don't do shit. There's no initiative to do anything about this. And as a matter of fact, the sickness even comes out when homelessness, mental illness, etc. affects traffic, taxes, or regularly scheduled programming. And, and what I mean by that is that, like, if I'm in a hurry or I don't want to be bothered, you know, I'm like thinking, why don't they just fucking get a job or come on, man, get out of here. I don't even who carries the fucking cash anymore. But I know how I react when like not even anything near as bad as homelessness happens. Like if I go to fucking Burger King and I'm like, yo, let me get an impossible Whopper with no mayo on it. And they put fucking mayo on it. I, I'm like, God damn it. Like motherfuckers don't know how to do shit. I can't even handle that. I can't even imagine what I would do if I was homeless. It's it's a really insensitive thought to be like, ah, I'm inconvenienced by your presence here. You know what I mean? I don't mean to make it sound like it's just about homelessness or poverty. It's about uh, the perspective of how we view people who experience hardship in general because of trauma and addiction. Check out my attempt at understanding the things that we call trauma and addiction and how they affect us in society, how they manifest, how we might even help these symptoms or illnesses that are plaguing us uh, or others. And we're going to talk about all that and more in this episode of Hip Hop Anonymous. encounter a mentally ill homeless or addicted individual during the course of regular life it's a jarring thing even still to me sometimes i come from a small town i only ever saw homeless people in movies and cartoons carrying that little you know handkerchief at the end of a stick and then it's got like all their belongings tied up in it um it maybe i did see homeless people in real life but they were never obviously homeless, like in their appearance. They weren't like struggling super hard to where they couldn't have clean clothes on, I guess. I never saw anyone like begging is what I'm trying to say. And until I moved to the city, that's when it became a regular occurrence. There's so many homeless people here. Like one of them even got famous for his amazing voice while panhandling near a major freeway. Ted Williams, if you don't know his story, he's known as the man with the golden voice. I tell this story because it helps me illustrate to myself, I think, that how we collectively feel about addicts or maybe how I even feel. Like addicts are the way they are by choice. I hear people say it all the time. It's sad, but they make the choice to be out there uh, doing what they're doing. Everybody's got a choice as if there's kids that go to school on career days to dress up like homeless people and people who are on drugs. All my logic says, looking at that, it doesn't look like it's a choice, right? And this is why Ted's story is interesting because Ted, he's, he's standing there, he's holding this sign, and the sign says something to the effect of, God gave me the gift of an amazing voice. Something like that. And he's wearing a Vietnam era army camo jacket, and it's buttoned up like right to the neck. And underneath that, the hood of a white sweatshirt pokes out the back of his collar. It's cold as hell in Ohio in the winters. So, I mean, it's base, even though he's like a mixed looking guy, he, uh, he's got red on his nose and his face a little bit. 
and it's just starting to get cold here in Ohio over the last like month and a half and it's it's fucking freezing it is freezing outside and I always forget a little bit but every year I'm reminded and this is the shit Ted's standing outside in painfully cold his teeth are crooked and stained and he's still smiling though and you know he's cold he has a long wrinkled face and prominent chin he's mixed and uh you know he's a mixed looking guy he's got this big messy salt and pepper hair to me he reminds me of like a cracked out barack obama in a gray tina turner way <laughs> sounds like i'm bullshitting but like for real go look i'm that's a that's a, a, a accurate description like i could give that to like police if that nigga robbed me and they would be able to find him so the driver the radio guy He's, uh, we're seeing from his camera phone point of view and he's pulling up to him and he's cracking the window and he's like, yo, hey man, you got work for this dollar. Like that's almost a direct quote. Ted, he doesn't even fucking hesitate. He, he looks like this guy who would definitely lie about, think he had a great voice because he's delusional and homeless and he doesn't actually have a, like a good voice at all. I, I expected it to be cringy, but suddenly he's just... I was stunned when words came out of his mouth. He said, when you're listening to the best of oldies, you're listening to Magic 98.9. Obviously, mine's a shitty impression. It sounded great, but uh, it blew me away. And a lot of other people, and obviously, because this video goes on to go viral to the point where he gets out of his street life, you know, and he gets hosting and voiceover contracts. He's even featured on the today show after reuniting with his you know century old mother after decades because he had become addicted to drugs it didn't seem long after i saw him on uh youtube that i met ted williams in real life for the first time it's not some like super crazy experience don't get all excited i was changing oil and assistantly managing an auto service center in reynoldsburg and apparently uh, Ted was somehow related to my boss by marriage. He didn't look like Tina Turner anymore, by the way. He had a nice, like, faded haircut, looking pretty good. He definitely had veneers put in, because now his teeth are on fucking Steve Harvey. And he had a sweater on, like, it looked he looked nice, you know? He seemed totally different. And he, like, talked pretty openly about, like, things he was excited about. He's like, yo, man, I'm gonna be getting this gig at craft macaroni and cheese and he doesn't sound like that at all but for all intents and purposes and he he did the voice for us he as a matter of fact i think he said when you're listening to 96 he like did the same shit from the video and i was like oh that's cool but it's like nigga come on dog that's the same old shit i want to hear some new shit so i get a pick with him and, and then he leaves and after he leaves my boss who's related to him by marriage he hits us with this hot goss he's like ted got kids by my girlfriend's aunt or sister or something and then he ain't even a great dad but in all fairness the dude was like just recently homeless like what the fuck give him like and also who the fuck is getting knocked up by a homeless dude and expects a check every month like you bitching about it like i can't believe this homeless nigga ain't giving me no money for this motherfucking these kids like come on man he goes on to tell us that he's um still in recovery basically not ted but relative and he's he says that ted has all these handlers to manage his finances to make sure that he doesn't like run off and do some reckless stuff even though ted claims that he hadn't done drugs for many years not even while he was homeless during the time of his debut video so that was what 2012 that all this conversation happened so i did a little research for the episode and ted did some 
pretty big shit around that time actually like january 2013 he did a thing for today that he was like like a check-in like yo i'm living in an apartment now i'm steadily employed as a voiceover artist for craft macaroni and cheese and I, and this gig lands him like three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, like a contract not like at once i don't think but maybe i don't know how that works he also he spends a ton of his time helping like the homeless and he also spends a bunch of time helping homeless people but still he claims to be suffering like from strained relationships with his drum roll seven kids like yo what kind of dick is ted williams giving out that he can convince any woman like to have seven kids with him that golden voice is talking his way into beds like he rolls up to a lady he's interested in and he's like, hey, let me holler at you real quick. He's like slicking his hair back, trying to like get his appearance going, but he's homeless. He's wearing an army camo jacket and shit. And his hair's all dry. This is like, he got seven kids. So it's like, he definitely was homeless at, during a lot of those kids. Most, all of them probably. He rolls up to her. She's like, oh, what do you want, you fucking bum? And then all of a sudden he just hits her with the, if you want to listen to the moans of ecstasy coming from your voice and the sounds of rhythmic headboard banging and squeaking from your mattress, you're only fucking with Ted Magic Stick Williams in the bedroom. So, and then he, whatever, that's the dumbest shit ever. He also started the Ted Williams project with Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. It's, you know, of course, after he was done waking up out of the sex coma from fucking all those women it's a that's a non it's a non-profit foundation that provides necessities to homeless shelters kids first then maybe homeless people but you know because you got seven kids and you know however many baby mamas one to one possibly plus question mark and you ain't doing shit but maybe this is terms of rehab so i'm being a judgmental person but let's keep moving on story develops some more so as it was somewhere around this time september 2013 Ted goes to Access Hollywood and he talks about this film he's working on called Houseless. And it's like a look at, you know, a reality of living homeless on a street. He's also at this time voicing uh, Pepsi commercials. There was an updated Joy of Pepsi ad and it had the tagline, we put the ah and cola. And he was a part of that in some some ways. So there's good shit going on in his life. He's, he's come a long way. He's from, from ashy to classy, you know what I'm saying? The second time I met Ted, he was different. Uh, I was in the sketchiest part of Columbus, the West Side. Uh, JK, JK, kind of. Even worse, I was walking into a Walmart. I was uh, coming into the Walmart, that little reception area before you go into the main part of the store. There's like this, uh, you can get Redbox DVDs from there and randomly make a copy of a key. Uh, or probably not win a fucking shitty stuffed animal out of a rigged claw machine. That's where I saw Ted just hanging around. And he's wearing this long, light brown winter coat. It's a formal looking coat and his hair is still trimmed and his teeth are new. Even so, it's just, it's just like off. I don't know if it's because something was actually off or if I'm like see, perceiving it in a way as like, oh, this guy, you know, hearing that story back at my old job being like, oh, he's still struggling and and now see him in a Walmart, he's holding a red binder, three ring, regular three ring binder, plain as fuck, not, no markings, logos, insignias on it. Um, I get closer to him and I see that he's like, he's next to this rough kind of looking older white lady. She's got like stringy hair. She's dressed down compared to Ted, but they're clearly like together, like hanging out. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but he opens up the binder and there's a bunch of low quality scans caricature drawings of himself 
like it looks like he went to kinko's he got like one drawing and and then copied it a billion times and then he's like hey i'll give you one with a donation i'll even autograph it it doesn't i don't care what the amount is just a donation i'm not sure if he was like having a hard time with sobriety or what but ted's also involved in lots of efforts to help homeless people so maybe he was just you know doing some shit for charity i'm pretty sure i don't remember him saying it was charity it just didn't make sense for somebody of like you know where he was at in life to just be in the middle of a walmart doing what he was doing that's all i'm saying but regardless i bought one of the drawings he autographed it and you know i wanted to do it because it ain't easy being cheesy apparently so it was around this time that he also did something else that was kind of odd he said that he was running for president of the united states uh in 2015 june and then he withdrew his candidacy on a facebook announcement in august 2021 so it's like dude the shit's over now but december 2015 is he's on a fucking roll he he gets on facebook he's like yo wvko i'm getting back on that show as the morning host beginning january 2016 new year new ted baby as of april 2016 though ted was no longer part of wbko programming so what the fuck was that about seems like he may have been struggling with something from like 2015 2018 between those times and then in 2019 he seemed to be working on a reality show it was called second chance and it was like i believe a rehab show maybe this was like his own attempt to reconcile some recent struggles that he was having then again recently in 2021 he said he was gonna run for governor of ohio and then he withdrew that statement as well so oh he was a homeless guy like walking around asking for money struggling to you know stay sober i guess and 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 then he gets found out he gets rich he makes six figures now he's talking for craft macaroni and cheese and he still talks about how he struggles with addiction he has to surround himself with the right people and he has to make the right choices he's got handlers stuff still unless this is some sort of britney spears situation where there's people that shouldn't be controlling his money controlling his money but the point is the money didn't help you know even with the choice to go to rehab he's still like fuck man this is hard he's making good decisions but if a rich guy who went from homeless from going ashy to classy couldn't just suddenly cure his problems with the money what what is what is this thing that fuels this unhappiness that i believe inevitably fuels the addiction we look at mac miller he achieved so many of his dreams he he wanted to do music and he did and meanwhile the whole time he's still fighting depression and addiction he's and at the same time he's sitting in mansions and five-star hotels and inevitably ends up dying in a mansion because of his drug drug use his own mansion to think someone would choose that to still struggle it, it, to think that it's almost like we're the ones who are brainwashed in some way like ted's an eccentric guy maybe and, and maybe he's not at all on drugs but even so Ted Williams was homeless in the first place because of a drug addiction. And I feel I have to reiterate that even though he's sober and making six figures, he still says he works diligently to hang on to sobriety every day. He had always wanted to be a broadcaster. His voice didn't get that way by accident. He went to school for training in the field of radio, and it, it would be hard for anyone to see why he still struggles now that he has his dreams. You know, what's the what's the feeling inside that makes someone that's sober and successful still feel
I blame the Just Say No program a little bit. They told us that all we had to do was just say no. Fun fact, just say no is, is not a, a program or sentiment backed by science or the medical industry. It's a it's purely an advertising campaign. You would never go to a, a rehab facility and, and tell them, ah, I can't stop smoking crack. And they say, oh, well, geez, mister, have you tried just saying no? No, like you would never hear that because that's the dumbest shit that anybody has ever said or heard. Nancy Reagan, she should fucking ask her husband where people got crack in the first place before she told people to stop fucking smoking it. Nancy Reagan was the person responsible for Just Say No, by the way. And her husband, former president Ronald Reagan, ironically caused the crack epidemic uh, in the 80s, but that's an entirely different episode. So I told a little bit of Ted's story, though, because it's an instance of where someone was able to escape the environment and still, you know, couldn't get their shit completely aligned. Right. Still struggled. We believe that that the absence of drugs alone is an absence of a problem. And that's that's true to some extent, depending on what kind of drug you're doing and what kind of harm you might be doing to your body in the process. But the disclaimer to that statement is the absence of drugs is not the absence of addictive urges. It's bigger than just saying no. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just it's just a really lazy attempt at solving the problem, I feel like. Like we meet complex issues with such extreme haste and generalization in this country. Like it reminds me we're like future primitive people if that makes sense like like a long time ago earthquakes happened and ancient people would be like ah, i guess god's god or the gods got angry and like puritans had nightmares you know about their neighbors and burned them to death in real life because they thought they were witches now we are like we have this superstition of you know we see people struggling or homeless addicted to drugs and we're like if only they would just say no. Magically, all the urges that drive the behavior would disappear. Addictive behavior and impulses, according to Dr. Gabor Mate, is trauma and emotional pain. And he has some pretty interesting reasons for thinking that. Dr. Gabor Mate, he's uh, this very, very interesting guy that I was put on to by my, my wife, actually. And she, I know I just, name dropped him like everybody's supposed to know who he is but it's not like anything i've ever heard and he's actually an, a very highly accredited doctor and author he's got some amazing books out there he's like some bestsellers he does lectures all over and because of being familiar with him for so long um i actually ended up uh, me and my lady taking a course of his over the internet about like just understanding trauma and stuff and like breaking it all down so when we had gone through the course, throughout we took notes. I was like, you know what? This would make a great thing to talk about that could even be helped. What do I think about his approach that was so unique and awesome and interesting and different? Uh, Dr. Gabor Mate thinks that addiction and compulsive behaviors slash disorders are not actually your choice. And that's completely contrary to popular like beliefs and narratives. He thinks that people that end up on the bottom of society are there because of traumatic experiences basically because they're they're dealing with a lot of stress and essentially the rebuttal to just say no would be i can't say no let's expand on that
All right, so trauma is a word that like a lot of people throw around all the time. Like, I'm triggered, I'm traumatized, I'm going through shit. But what is trauma like, really? The American Psychiatric Association calls trauma an emotional response to a terrible event like accidents, rapes, murders, immediately after the event that is traumatic. Shock and denial are typical to happen. Longer term reactions include unpredictable emotions, flashbacks, strained relationships, physical symptoms like headaches or nausea. And this is all true. Even so, the coldness of the clinical language kind of undermines the wide spectrum upon which trauma occurs. Dr. Mate says trauma is not what happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside of you as a result of what happened to you. And the word uh, trauma comes from a Greek word that means wound as in fresh unhealed injury when you've experienced trauma your wounds might cause you to have certain symptoms one is disconnect from your gut feelings and your sense of self two uh, is disconnect and trust internalized these things can become isolation and shame three worldview becomes distorted four you'll have emotional pain these uh can manifest as addictive urges later if not treated uh there's number five less than optimal brain development can occur uh six shame-based viewpoints and seven difficulty staying in the present you know constantly worrying about things that happen could be called depression uh, things worrying about things in the future could be called anxiety trauma is a really powerful word but it implies like something super crazy has to happen in order to change how we're experiencing our reality and how we behave trauma response um depression etc they all have very real measurable changes even in our brain from minor events and they can happen so much easier than what we realize um like if your our brains were visible, if your brains were visible, uh, it'd be it would reveal clear and measurable indicators of previous traumas that you might have experienced if a doctor or a professional is looking at them. Okay, so let's move on to the next part of this. I think the next logical step is okay. We know what trauma is now in definition, but what is it? What does it look like when it occurs in the body? How do people act? How do people even begin to act that way in the first place? So let's do that. A brain undergoing development in an ideal environment is meant to be like a sponge, very sponge-like, right? It takes in, or it's supposed to take in, as much about the world as possible in order to create a model for how to survive. Psychologists say that us humans establish our basic worldview by the age of seven. And up until that time, we're learning how to respond to the world around us, how to properly manage stress, tolerate discomfort, and a million other things. And this is why kids are so playful and curious by nature. They laugh and then they cry right away, like in the same moment. They, they're hungry and then, then they're not eating. And then they fall down and they get back up. They experience a wide array of emotions from second to second it's because they're a they're biological learning machines in many ways so in this biological learning machine that you know that we all are in a lot of ways but very much so when you're children there's two parts of the brain that are very important to develop and and not doing so 
is uh, detrimental to us as adults. And we develop these two parts of the brain in a healthy way by being able to express during childhood. Like we're allowed to question and, and freedom to move around. These two parts of the brain are called the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. And they make sure essentially on a baseline, they do more things that we'll get into, but essentially they make sure that you don't feel lost and out of control. I'll, it, it'll become clear later. The amygdala is a small kidney bean shaped thing. It's in the center of your brain and its primary function is to recognize threats, danger, fear, pain, and in other words, stress. Actual stress sends a message to your hypothalamus from your amygdala and that leads to a bunch of other reactions and inevitably the uh, stress hormones being released into your body. An example of this would be you're walking through the woods and you come across a bear. Your amygdala will see it and you'll be like, yo, wake up, this is not a drill, dog. Like, you need to get the fuck out of here. And you get an adrenaline rush and then you either fight or flee. The prefrontal cortex though, that other part of the brain that we're gonna talk about, it's, it's a big part of your brain and it helps us control our thoughts and our actions. If your amygdala, for instance, were to be Scarface, your prefrontal cortex would be his right-hand man, Manolo. Super loyal to the very end, like watching your shit, keeping your best interests at heart. The whole job of the prefrontal cortex is to control our stress and emotional responses and saving them for times that are completely uh, necessary. Say you're walking through the same woods and you think you see a bear and your amygdala is like, oh shit, it's a fucking bear. I'm gonna kill that cockroach. Remember, it's Scarface. So and your prefrontal cortex puts his arm out and, he's, and it's like, hold up, Tony, that's not a fucking bear, man. It's a shadow, man. Like, and you're like, all right, all right, cool. That stops your body from staying flooded with stress hormones and it calms you back down and lets you know that everything is okay. You're safe. You're allowed to relax again. It's very important because most people would be like, well, why don't we just stay in an adrenaline state? Because I mean, I used to think that when I was a kid, because it's like adrenaline's basically closer to superheroes. So why wouldn't you want to be pumped all the time and ready to go and, and a little stronger than you would normally be faster, more aware. And that's because stress hormones, they come at a price. This is a, a quid pro quo thing. Like adrenaline, for example, it's great for momentary bursts of energy and focus and all those things that I talked about a minute ago, but they mute other primary body, uh, body functions in order to work, like digestion, focus, blood flow uh, to certain organs, right? Are, are dialed down to deal with fight or flight situations. Like if you just ate, and that's why sometimes people get like nervous, um, anxious or get those stress hormones flowing in their body to a really high amount they think they're in a lot of danger they you know you get sick nauseous because your body's not focused on digestion at this fucking point if you think you're about to die your body's like yo i'm gonna send blood and focus to your legs your muscles um your hearing other things that are meant to help you survive food's not one so we can even eject that throw it up to get it out of your body to help you deal with this and this is why also people are who are chronically stressed they have like issues losing belly fat or you know they might lose their hair 
it's because these stress hormones are stopping your body from functioning in an, in an optimal way and like being in a normal relaxed state. That's because these two parts of the brain that keep you uh, safe, but also in a, within a reasonable capacity, it, it doesn't function the same for everybody. There's actually lots of research that shows that the function of these areas varies pretty widely depending on like what your life was like growing up or even what your situation in life is like now. It usually goes back to your childhood. For example, uh, children in particular who experienced minimal to severe stress before the age of 15 months old showed an increase in their amygdala's volume. You know, meaning that I believe it's enlarged in some way. So this is linked to hyperactive amygdala, meaning that your amygdala, the thing that's supposed to keep you safe by watching for, for threats, you know, or stressors, it's now hypervigilant to the point where it's attacking you. You're always on the lookout. And another word for this is anxiety. The amygdala is also an essential link to emotional learning and memory. So that's emotional learning, not memory, but emotional learning and emotional memory, attention, perception, emotional and social behaviors, inhibitions, self-regulation. It enforces uh, or it reinforces learned experiences. And you don't even have to experience stress or trauma as a child to show changes in the structure of how your brain works either. The PTSD response in adults due to like bad car accidents, assaults, abuse, uh, it's linked to reduced amygdala volume, oddly enough. It's like the exact opposite, but it still has a negative effect on the human mind. It's, in, it's uh, actually an indicator of PTSD, major depressive disorders, borderline personality disorder, Now let's talk about the other part of your brain in detail, the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex, that's the thing that's like, it's Manolo. Hey, man, calm down, man. So the prefrontal cortex consists of three major anatomical regions, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the orbitofrontal cortex, and the medial prefrontal cortex. Um, so we'll just call those parts A, B, and C. So the A part, is a multimodal association area that participates in higher cognitive functions like doing mathematics and critical thinking, being organized. Whereas the B and C side though, or B and C parts of the brain, they make up the limbic system. And this area participates in emotional and motivational functions. Like everything in our body is chemical, right? Everything, everything uh, we're always holding, we're always on drugs to some extent. You know, uh, and the proper distribution and release of these hormones and feel good chemicals that occur naturally all depend on how your brain's functioning. So in this particular sense, the B and C parts of your brain are, uh, it seems like they they have some sort of role in the uh, serotonin, dopamine release. Serotonin and dopamine are like motivational hormones. They make you want to do things. They make you feel satisfied for accomplishing things. And that releases other hormones that just make you feel good and creates a, a positive cycle, essentially, of like, you know what? I don't have to drink or do drugs uh, to feel good. I just get up off the couch and I do stuff. I'm not depressed. So volume reduction in this C part, though, has been profoundly evident in adults who experience maltreatment as a child. So if you were treated poorly as a kid, the part of the brain that's making you want to feel happy and set positive 
uh, events in motion in your life, this part of the brain gets smaller. And that's not even, and it gets smaller from things not even as traumatic as like sexual abuse. Chronic exposure to harsh corporal punishment when you're a kid, like getting spanked, uh, is associated with reduction in gray matter volume in the right medial prefrontal cortex, which is the C side again, in young adults. Based on the results of most recent meta-analysis, uh, prefrontal cortex volume reduction is frequently involved in both major depressive disorders and post-traumatic and post-traumatic stress. Um, and this is from a like an analysis of 41 studies that found significant volume reductions in the prefrontal cortex and it mainly in people with these disorders is a part of the brain also associated with like patients and being able to uh, make high level decisions uh think on on more advanced levels critical thinking your, your cognitive ability like someone being slow or, or whatever, sometimes that's a result of, it's a symptom of reduced gray matter. And gray matter can be affected as you know a child, like I said earlier, um, but also it can affect your life as an adult. If you've like suffered from recent like adverse life events, or you live under the assumption of like perceived stress, like things seem worse than they are. If you feel stressed out, you are hurting like your ability to like think rationally and, and effectively. So these associations suggest that some trauma-related changes in gray matter volume may act as a vulnerability. Spilled milk, crying over spilled milk, for instance, if you're, if you're someone that would cry over that, it's because you uh, probably already have, it's an indicator that your gray matter is is likely disturbed. And it's, and it's also like a predisposition for trauma-related psychiatric disorders. If you're one of those people that are like, oh my God, it's the end of the world, something small happened. It, it, it could be an indicator that, you know, you dealt with some shit. So basically, if you experience trauma at any point in your life, but it's more significant as a child, the part of your brains that are responsible for regulating your stress levels, for you feeling safe, to motivate you to do things, to have willpower, the ability to perceive things clearly, that's all diminished. Some doctors say that this is actually even contributing to the disorders that we call ADD and ADHD. Remember, trauma is dealing with the parts of the brain that handle cognitive abilities too, that gray matter, your, your ability to think, solve problems, to stay focused, to continue doing things that are difficult to do, that don't offer you a, an instant reward. The, the brain becomes in a hyper state of stress and can't calm down. This is all tied to like certain feel good chemicals and stuff too. I'm not going to get into it crazy, but you've got oxytocin, dopamine, uh, serotonin, and there's another one, uh, endorphins, right? Endorphins like are released after exercising and after having sex, especially working out. Most people will be like, well, endorphins might make me feel good and, and accomplished from working out, but how do I even want to go to the gym or organize my my life or do anything or stop smoking like how do i how do i release the get the endorphin or serotonin release from accomplishing things in the first place and 
it's usually like dopamine. Uh, I think I, I mix them up all the time and I don't have it right in front of me. Um, but the dopamine and serotonin, one of those is the motivational feel good hormone that you release. Like if you wake up in the morning, a lot of experts will say, if you want to feel good about yourself, wake up, make your fucking bed and you will get a, a release of serotonin or dopamine. And it'll say, you know what? Good job, man. You are out here accomplishing things. And that itself is a self driving and uh, can't talk today propelling mechanism that will make you want to do more things to get that reward but in people who have trauma they don't that doesn't happen those chemicals don't release you're in a hyper state of trauma and vigilance and anxiety and stress and your prefrontal cortex your manny basically it's like the real scarface movie your amygdala killed the prefrontal cortex and is like yo shut the fuck up i'm not calming down this stuff is seriously gonna kill us and we need to take it more seriously i spilled this glass of milk i'm gonna lose my fucking mind and the only way to calm it down is to self-medicate your serotonin your dopamine your natural reward systems aren't functioning properly so now that's why you have to do drugs to feel good it's not that you literally can't say no in some ways and it's 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 not just some made up shit it's physical it's not people being crybabies in this day and age we tend to say oh what the fuck man everybody's crying about safe spaces and trauma when i was a kid back in the 90s i fucking play outside all day and drink out of hoses and fall down and scrape my knee and all this and that and little perverts live right across the street and touch kids all the time and nothing ever happened to us like but that doesn't that doesn't mean that there's no validity you know i do believe that some kids that grow up that are younger today are a little kind of crybabies a little bit they want people to do things for them cut the fucking proverbial uh crust off of their sandwiches for them when they're old enough to do it if that's how they want it but you know um there is something to this trauma there is something that people talk talking harshly to you and not feeling safe so, all right, so how do you get traumatized? We talked a lot about trauma, what happens and how that kind of fuels, you know, the, the reward systems being a, fa a failure and you needing to do drugs in order to set up your own natural reward systems or your own uh, synthetic reward systems to replace the ones that don't work anymore. So how do you even ever get to that point? That's the best of the juicy part. That's some this part's going to piss some people off. Um, but it, it has to be said. So let's get into this shite. Oh, shit. I hate to do it to you, but uh, we actually are out of time, man. Like, I didn't plan on this episode being so long. So what I'm going to have to do is split this episode into two. So what you're hearing right now is the end of part one. Um, we already covered Ted Williams' amazing story, how that uh, kind of leads into our discussion of how addiction is something that persists even without drugs, at least the mentality of addiction or this dis-ease that we now call trauma and suffering. And um, I promise we're going to get deeper into this. There's so much more to talk about. We're going to talk about um, how trauma actually occurs, how we can prevent trauma in childhood, uh, ease trauma in adults, and um, overall decrease uh, suffering in the form of addiction, trauma, et cetera, et cetera. I know I'm going through this really quick, but this is the first time I've ever done a two-part episode. So um, just stick with me. I hope to see you on the next one. 
And uh, I want to give a special shout out to everybody who's listening. Um, research from this episode came from a course by Dr. Gabor Mate, inspired by Dr. Gabor Mate, um, all kinds of links and et cetera. There's a lot, but I'll see you on part two.